You're listening to the Game Mechanics with Jason and Joel. Hey, it's the first week of January, and you're listening to the very first episode of the Game Mechanics. I'm Joel, and with me is my co-host, Jason. Yeah, there's you. Uh, so I'll edit that to sound okay later. It's funny because I always reference editing in these podcasts, but then like actual editing never happens. So, um, <laughs> and I'm totally peaking a little bit, but I think we'll be okay. Uh, it's been a while since I've done one of these podcasts. I did one with, uh, with a couple other guys on video games and this is actually something I'm more passionate about. So hopefully I can take some of that know-how and bring it over to this, uh, this, this, the game mechanics podcast, and we can have a little fun with this. But I think maybe let's just start off with introductions, Jason. Why don't you tell us a little about yourself? All right. Well, my name is Jason Smith. I've been board gaming for about, let's see, I don't know, two years maybe, but I got really serious at Origins two years ago. I went there and I was overwhelmed and I saw it and I liked it a lot. <laughs> so I was like, I, I need this in my life. So from that point on, I just became an addict. Yeah. Oh, I've been there. Um, so if people want to find you on social media, you're the only Jason Smith out there, right? Yeah, that would be nice, <laughs> but no. Um, I have a Facebook page. Yeah. My own personal page. But, but I'll tell you, you can, what, go to the go to the game mechanics page, right? That'd be Yes, yes. You can go there and I'll be sending you messages pretty quickly right after you send them to me and you'll be on there too because you're an admin, so yeah. they can talk oh, to yeah. us both there. We definitely are an official podcast because we have a Facebook page and a logo. Like that's more than, you know, a third of the podcasts out there. So anyway. That's true. That uh, is true. I, uh, I'm, I'm Joel Kratzer. Uh, I've been gaming for a little longer than you, Jason. Um, but off and on, um, I think you're way more passionate about it than I am right now and probably more passionate about it right now than I ever have been. Um, but I started really board gaming. Oh, man. I, I played Rise and Decline of the Third Reich when I was, like, in elementary school with my friend. Um, but I think I'm like a lot of other people, like Settlers of Catan, Dominion. Those games kind of got me into the hobby uh, with my friend Chris. He actually was so hardcore into board games in college that he had to translate them from German to English. So he's been around for a while doing it, but he kind of got me exposed a little bit to it. Back in about, uh, I want to say maybe 2005, six somewhere around there. And uh, I've been playing ever since pretty seriously. So uh, tonight's episode really is all about just kind of getting to know us a little better and kind of getting to know what our voice is when we talk on this podcast and, and what we do on this podcast. Um, so I don't know, I guess, uh, you'll get to know us better as we go. We're probably a little nervous, probably a little bit, not quite sure what our rhythm is and things. Um, but just stick with us. We'll get better. I promise. Uh, as, as with anything, when you do a lot of reps, you get better. So, uh, that's the plan. And I think Jason's on board with that too, right? That is correct. Yeah. Hopefully, um, yeah, the next podcast will, I'll have a little bit more, um, rhythm and confidence. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. Oh, uh, I remember my first one too. I mean, if it feels pretty overwhelming, uh, and then I've been on like Dice Tower podcasts as a guest and that's, man, that's like you get nervous cause you're like, whoa, people are actually going to listen to this one. That's crazy. And Tom Vassell's on here moderating. That's, that's nuts. So and if you don't know who Tom Vassell is, then you're probably listening because you're one of our friends and you're listening as a favor. So thanks for listening, <laughs> I guess. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. anyway, um, I think most of our shows are going to kind of follow the same format. 
often we've talked about. And it's always fun to listen to your first episode about 10 episodes in because you have these ideas and then they're totally not followed. And you're like, oh yeah, I forgot we were going to do that thing. But that's probably the case with this show too, is that we have these ideas and then 10 episodes in, we'll probably be doing something totally different. But for now, the plan is we'll do a little news segment, which Jason uh, has done a really nice job getting some stuff around and producing it on that. And then we'll just probably talk about what we've played in the last week or so. Followed up with uh, some kind of feature segment where we might have a guest on. We might do some kind of top five list. Uh, We might talk about some kind of trend in gaming. So tonight's no exception. And uh, I guess I'm ready to move on to to news, Jason, if you are. Sounds good. Let's get going. Yeah, go for it. All right. The first game I wanted to talk about is the next um, game in the Century series. It's called Century Eastern Wonders, and it's done by the same designer, Emerson Matsuchi. It looks like it's going to be the same kind of mechanics as the previous game where you, where you're going to be using cubes to help you move further than you'd want to go. But instead of just taking cards, you're going to be on a board with a boat. Um, it's not a ton more than that. It's boating. It's more of the same, just looks a little more gamery. Um, but they're going to be releasing it at Origins and I'm pretty pumped because you can mix it together with regular century and have an even better game. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to trying that one out. I haven't looked at this one yet. And actually, I just played Century for the first time with you about a week ago now. Uh, and that game actually was surprisingly good to me. I've heard good things about it, and I can see a lot of potential with that game. Uh, just the pace we played it at last week was so slow with a couple of non-gamers in the group who it kind of took them a while to get their head wrapped around the mechanics. But this one sounds interesting. And I, like immediately my mind goes to... When they had King of Tokyo and then King of New York came out, it was like the gamer version of it. I kind of wonder if Eastern Wonders is kind of the gamer version of of Spice Road. I don't know. That's kind of how it feels like it's been described to me a little and what you just said there as well. Yeah, it kind of looks like that. But again, I don't think it's going to be super gamery. No. I think it's still going to be a, a gateway deal. But it's we'll it's it's cool. Uh, and so you can definitely play it crossover with Spice Road. I wonder if you can play with Gollum and like the Gollums will like destroy the boats or sink the boats or something. I don't know. So <laughs> that would be pretty sweet. Yeah, that would be sweet. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. All right. The next game, there's there's really like zero out about this game, but it's called Treasure Island. And the only reason I put it on this list is, well, two reasons. It's designed by the co-designer of Yamatai with Bruno Catala. His name's mm. Mark Pacquian. And the art is done by Vincent Dutre. And I love Vincent Dutre. He's a great artist. He makes some beautiful looking games. So just those two things alone, I'm pretty pumped to see how this one's going to pan out. What has Vincent Dutre done that I might know? Uh, he did Madame Ching, which was in mm. my my wife's top 100. Another Catholic um, game. Yeah, he did. He's also done the museum game that was on Kickstarter not too long ago. Yes. Yeah, so that one, there's some other ones I can't think about it, but... If we did an anticipated games for 2018, Museum would be on there for sure for me. I like think that game looks amazing. I uh, I missed the Kickstarter, so I'll have to wait for it to get out in retail, but it looks really good. Um, so if this Treasure Island game is anything near the production level, and uh, we'll talk more about Yamatai here in a little bit, I think, but... Uh, it sounds like it has the potential to be a pretty good release. Do you know, have they said anything about when this one's coming out or like what kind of schedule it's following for production or anything yet? No, I was on the BGG page and it essentially said who the publisher was, who the designer was and who the artist was and more to come. Huh? So yeah, they must not have much in the books for it yet. Yeah. So probably 2019 even. 
Yeah, I don't know, but I'll be looking for it because I'm judging this book by the cover for sure. <laughs> I've done that plenty of times on games. That's why I ended up buying like some pretty terrible games along the way. <laughs> yeah, I th- uh, yeah, I've done that too. It's like, wow, this looks amazing, and it's a piece of garbage. Uh, Gear World's Gear Gear World's The Borderlands was the one that I bought. I'm like, oh, steampunk, and it's made by the guys who inspired Catan, and it's uh, got all these mechanics that are like amazing and it's the guys who made cosmic encounter and they're re-releasing it in a steampunk universe it's got to be awesome and i bought it and it was like seriously the worst game i've ever played i'd, <laughs> I'd just as well play Candyland. so i hope <laughs> i hope we don't have one of these issues with treasure island and i don't think we will um but at any rate yeah that's true if nothing else you can just hang the board up on the wall as like some art or something <laughs> because it'll at least look cool I think I traded my copy of uh, Gear World, the Borderlands away like super quick because I knew it was going to be a bargain bin item. And for sure, like it was 75% off on Cool Stuff Inc. within like three months. It was just a bad game. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, it happens. All right. The next game, um, it's going to be coming on Kickstarter in a couple weeks. It's from Eagle Griffin. It's called The Scarlet Pimpernel, which Hmm. I'm only interested in this kind of because my wife likes the book. I think it's a book. I don't know. I'm a board gamer. I don't read books. Um, but it's designed by Brian Kelly and it has Ian O'Toole artwork, which the most recent game that he's done is Lisboa. And uh, that's that game a beautiful pretty game. Amazing. Yeah. It's a beautiful yes, game. It, it really is. That's on my um, potential to buy list for a heavier Euro type game. I think. Oh, all the way. Vidal Lacerda is hands down. I'll buy any of his games without even trying them. He's, <laughs> he's the boss. But so yeah, this is coming out on kick. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. You, oh, you, uh, this well, this on- is us finding our rhythm here, by the way, for you early <laughs> listeners. Go ahead. This Jason. is coming on Kickstarter on the 23rd and I'm going to be checking it out more because again, another game without a lot of detail. So, well, that's, that's cool. Um, it's, uh, it's going on to Kickstarter here on the 24th. Is that what you said? 23rd. 23rd. Cool. I, uh, I'll keep an eye on that too. There's so many Kickstarters I missed over the last year or two. I kind of like got into that mode of, um, kind of just playing the games I own, which is good sometimes. Uh, and I didn't play as much as I wanted to over the last year or two, but I missed so many amazing Kickstarters. Like I saw them and I'm so used to the Kickstarter hype machine that I was like, I'm going to consciously ignore those. And so two of them that I just ignored on, on Kickstarter that I'm like kicking myself that I didn't get were uh, museum for sure. And Gloomhaven. And, uh, so I finally get my copy of Gloomhaven here in the next couple of weeks, uh, because I'm getting a retail copy. And then I pre-ordered it already. It should be here before long, but that's one that I feel like such pain that I had to miss it. Cause it's like just right in my ballywick for the kind of games I like. And then, and the museum, like we talked about earlier was pretty awesome. My, my wife actually backed a Kickstarter for me for Christmas. Uh, she got me folklore, the affliction second printing too. So, um, anyway, like Kickstarters are sometimes pretty awesome and the deals around them are kind of cool. So like the folklore Kickstarter, there's certain things you can't get unless you get the Kickstarter. So I don't know that they would do that with it being a GMT uh, Kickstarter. You said GMT is doing it, right? Uh, no, Eagle Griffin. Eagle, Eagle Griffin. I get those two like mixed up because they both have kind of the same look to their games almost. Uh, but yeah. but at any rate, yeah, that's and that's another thing too is like sometimes Kickstarter – with like Queen Games doing Kickstarters and and doing you know like Eagle Griffin doing Kickstarters, it kind of feels bad sometimes that it's like, what are we kickstarting your company that's like already been in business for the last two decades? But 
I don't know. It's uh, sometimes you get those Kickstarters and you get just some really nice extras on there. The only time I've done Kickstarters and really felt like insulted is when like you buy the Kickstarter for like seventy nine ninety nine, and then like two days after you get your copy on Kickstarter, it's on cool stuff for like thirty nine ninety nine. That's kind of a insult, but. I don't know. I, I definitely I'm glad you brought a Kickstarter to the new segment because I'm really hoping to pay closer attention to Kickstarters this year for sure. Yeah, I actually backed um, the Deception Murder in Hong Kong expansion mm. and they sent out after I backed it and paid it and all that. They sent out an email to all the backers and saying, oh, well, we charge you too much money. So we're, we're going to be retailing it for five dollars less. So here's some extra cards. Oh, wow. That's, so, I mean, that's really cool of them to do that. Yeah, at least I got something out of it, so I'm not super, super ticked that it's cheaper than what I paid for it. But say la vie, I guess. Yeah, I uh, I've done a lot of indie boards and cards kickstarters. I just like that little company, and usually they have some really cool stuff they would do. So like Flashpoint Fire Rescue, um, I think you can buy it now. But for a while, the only way you could get the little rescue dog is by doing their Kickstarter. So I mean, there's definitely some cool things that happen with Kickstarter at times, metal coins, whatever. But I'll keep an eye out for the Scarlet, Scarlet Pimpernel. Am I saying that right? Pimpernel, I think. Pimpernel, yeah. Again, it's a book. I don't know. I, I've but. never even heard of the book, so that's how far <laughs> from being educated I am. <laughs> yeah, Katie will help you. She'll, she'll set you straight. <laughs> okay, I'm sure she will. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the next game I have is one that I've had pre-order, pre-ordered since September. Um, it's called Council of Four. Simon is bringing this out. It's a reprint from Cranio. And they originally released it in 2015. The main reason I'm... So this one was totally teasing me yesterday. I I put in an order on Cool Stuff yesterday. And I was trying to find something for like 30 bucks to finish my order out. And one of the links said, add to cart. And I was like, are you kidding? This is out? That's awesome. I'm going to totally add this to my cart. Buy it because it looks really good. And then I was like, wait, pre-order. Oh, okay. Well, somebody messed up that hyperlink. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah they were it was supposed to release in q4 so when i was at pax i said hey where's this game they're like oh well, we changed it to q1 i was like yeah. sweet now i have to wait even longer for this awesome game that's a bummer yeah but it looks really good and it looks pretty small compared to his other games honestly i mean like it looks like there's still a lot going on and it's a rich game but it's not this big massive board and box like everything's pretty compact in how they're putting it out it seems yeah, it's the same dudes that made Marco Polo and Zulkin and Grand Austria and Lorenzo. Right. And this is basically like a ticket to ride levelish with a little more going on. So a more gamerish ticket to ride. But yeah, it's just yeah. strange coming from those guys that they're doing this little entry level game. I, I think that's right, like in my wheelhouse, man. I mean, I think that's something that I would really enjoy. Because I I like those more brain burning games sometimes, those heavier games. But there's times where I like I just want to play something a little lighter. And then the other thing, too, is like it kind of doesn't matter what games you love if you can't get people to play them with you. So having one of those like lighter games that might lead someone into playing something like Grand Austria or something like that is kind of a cool thing to have, too. Yeah, we have a lot of those. Like, I don't love playing them, but just seeing people who've never played games really get into it and then knowing that, hey, if you like this one, I can give you something even better to try. That makes it all worth it. Right. All right, the last game I want to talk about, it's not really a game that I've played or in my wheelhouse, but I know it's um, one of your favorite games. I made we'll leave you it at that. This. I'm going to just <laughs> confess it right now. Yeah, it's uh, Scythe, Rise of the Finries. I think that's how you say it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, and this is... Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I'm this is really excited gonna, to talk about it. 
<laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad you are because I know nothing about it, but I'm going to try. This is the conclusion of the Scythe expansion trilogy, and it's going to give options for player count of 1 to 5, or you can play it as 1 to 7 if you have the invaders from afar. It's going to be an eight-episode campaign that's going to conclude the story, or you can play 11 modules instead of or in lieu of the campaign, should you not want to do that. Yeah, Uh so the word legacy was getting thrown around when this first got announced that it was going to be a legacy game or a legacy expansion. And I think people are still kind of getting that vibe from parts of it that you're resolving this story about a plot line that happens in the side of the universe. Um, but actually on the official thread for the news on BGG, um, this is why I love Stonemaier games because Jamie uh, Stagmeyer, he gets on the forums and talks to people and interacts with the people so there's no speculation. He just comes out and says it. And so my impression on how this is going to work is if you got um, Viticulture before Essential Edition and Tuscany before Essential Edition, the original Viticulture printing was like, or Tuscany printing was like you played through the modules one at a time and added them to the base game. And then as you did certain things, you unlocked the next module to like put into, into Viticulture. So it was like almost a way to learn these new mechanics and new modules um, one at a time by adding them to the game in a certain order. And um, it was kind of neat because things were like a little bit of a surprise that way. And I feel like the same thing's true with this Scythe expansion. It's like there's little boxed things that you aren't going to know what's in them, but it's just all going to be one big expansion with a bunch of modules in it eventually. Um, but you're just going to open things up one at a time as you play through the campaign kind of thing. So I don't think it's like you're putting stickers on a board kind of stuff, but it's um, supposed to tell a story as you go through and unlocking these modules that are going to be able to be used through the, through the rest of the, of the game. Um, I'm going to talk a little more about awesome expansion modules from Stonemaier games later when we get to our top games of 2017. But yeah, that's all I'm going to say right now because Stonemaier does that pretty well. Yeah, I'm actually kind of glad this isn't Legacy because this may be taboo, but I don't know. I'm just not feeling the Legacy. I'd rather just sit down, play a game, complete the game, put it away, move on. Legacy's an Ameritrash kind of thing almost. Like, honestly, I think it's an Ameritrash kind of idea or at least Ameritrashy, like light Euro kind of games because it's really like the legacy part is the story driving stuff. And I mean, like you and I have joked that putting a Euro on a, uh, on a, or putting a theme on a Euro game is like, I don't know, like putting like, uh, putting lipstick putting, on a pig. Yeah. Or like a screen door on a submarine or something, you know, like, <laughs> right, I mean, yeah. like there's really no reason for it. Like, I mean, you can, I think like I was joking, like with Azul, like they tried to like make it like you're, getting tiles from a factory or something. Like, I don't even know why they tried to do that. It's like, Hey, you've got these beautiful chunks of plastic and I'm making an array with them. Like, cool. Like, don't have to try and tell me there's a story behind it. It's fine. And I mean, like most really solid mechanical games don't need a story really. Um, and so, but like, I think that games that are like really thematic and Ameritrashy do need it. So like, that's why a pandemic legacy works pretty well. And a risk legacy works fairly well. Um, and like a Gloomhaven that has like a legacy component to it, that works pretty well. But when you have a really good game that's like mechanically sound from the beginning, like if you're going to try and do a legacy thing with that, you're missing mechanics at the very beginning or you're missing kind of part of the game and it makes it weaker when you first start it. So I don't think it works well with the kinds of games that you enjoy. And I definitely can see where it's like a little bit overhyped right now for sure. 
Yeah, yeah. That's all I'm saying is I would rather not, but I will if someone's up for it. Yeah, I feel you. All right, cool. So I think that's it for news. And so that puts us into uh, a segment I'm going to call very creatively games we played in the last couple of weeks. I like Where it. we talk about games we played in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Jason. It's aptly named. I like it. That's nice. Yeah. All right. So I'm a little late to the to the I guess the table for this, but I played Istanbul because I got it for Christmas, and I gotta say that game is super fun. Yeah, it's great. Um, I'm glad you were able to come to the fold eventually here with that. Uh, the cool thing about Istanbul. I'm definitely with you. That's a great game, but I love the fact that it's like so modular and random set up like that. You can't min max it. Oh yeah. Yeah. My favorite part. I, like I love moving the guys around having to have your assistant under your merchant. And then if you come across another merchant, you have to pay them two coins that makes it really thank you for a simple little game. Really? Right. That's the best games I've been playing lately are like mechanically. They have like three rules, but then the way how those rules impact all the different spots on the board and like your ability to fully execute those three rules are the best games. I mean, I just think those are the most beautiful, best games that you can teach this game in four or five minutes. And then there's certain exceptions to it and certain things where it gets a little more complicated. But really, I mean, those are the best games where it's just, hey, do this action or this action. That's it, you know, and that's kind of where Istanbul is. It's like, hey, move here or do these things, you know, and kind of leave a guy behind. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. The be- the best part about it is I played it twice and I've beaten my wife, Katie, both times. The first time it was six You're gyms right. to five. The second time it was yeah. five gyms to four. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have always had it come down to just being like one gym when I play it, too. It's just so well balanced and so tight every time you play it. I've never blown anybody out of the water. Um, the best I've come is like I played like one of my friend's sons who's like not into games at all. I think he lost by two gems instead of just by one. So, I mean, like that's it's a really good game that way <laughs> yeah. for sure. And the theme on that one is bad parenting, I think, because like everywhere you go, you leave a child behind or something. So, <laughs> I, <laughs> Well, I mean, it's not necessarily all bad parenting because you're trying to rescue your one cousin from prison, too. So. Yeah, that's I guess true. it's a, rede- a redemption story a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. Anything more on Istanbul? No, I mean, I was just surprised how much how fun it was for a simple little game. Because usually I'm into the heavy thinking euros, and then I played this, and I was like, man, I got to keep playing this thing. This must have won this. A- this must have won the spiel like right before you started playing games, because it was not super hyped up, but it was a spiel winner. So I mean, it was enough hyped up, you know. Yeah, I've watched I've watched some stuff on it before, but I just like I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily want to get into that. And then you talked about it on your top one hundred and then I played it and I see why it's so hyped. It's an amazing game. Yeah, and it's one of those games too that it's a pretty rich and full game experience, but the game really only costs about like thirty or forty bucks maybe. Um, depending on the day on Amazon or whatever. So just kidding, support your local game store, forty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I played Scythe this week um, more. I love that game. We've already talked about it. Um, but I played with – I played uh, – I think I played two times this in the last two weeks. Once I played against just my son and with my dad as well. Uh, 
Actually, my dad, my brother, and Luke. That was one time. I played three times. Once was just my son. Once with my two, my, my brother, my dad, and my son. And then one other time was just a couple guys who, like, I just taught the game to them as we were learning. Um, my son kicked my butt the one time when we played with my dad and my brother. He just absolutely destroyed me. He won by, like, 15 points, which was such a, like, mixed emotions mo- moment because it's like, I'm proud of you, son, but that hurt. Um <laughs> I know you haven't really played Scythe yet. I think you'll actually like it, even though you're like a Euro guy. Um, because it's got these kind of cool improvements that you make where you move the cubes around to like make your powers a little better, a little different. And then it's got definitely like worker movement, worker placement, where you're trying to gather resources to build buildings. It's got a lot of Euro game in it. It's more Euro than Ameritrash, I would say. Um, but the one guy I played with, I don't, I don't think he quite got it. Um, he got to the factory tile in the middle and he got there like super early in the game. I mean, really early in the game. And so if you know anything about this game, there's a factory tile in the middle, which gives you like a fifth placement option for actions that you can get. And it's kind of important to get. And so maybe his strategy is legitimate, but he got there like way early in the game, maybe four turns into the game, got his little factory tile. And then he just loaded that tile up with like his leader and then like four or five mechs. And so like, I needed to get the factory and this is where I kind of felt really smart. I went in there uh, with like three mechs of my own and um, I had like 10 military power, which like anything over seven means you're ready to full blower, go at it with war. And then having three mechs means you can really blow things away. Well, then you, the way how the combat system works in that game is you're allowed to pick how much combat power you want to get off the board, but then also add these modifier cards for every game piece you have in the fight well i did absolutely zero i did nothing and he did like tons because he thought man this guy's really coming for me so i wiped him out of cards and i wiped him out of his game power and so then i was able to go on like one mech the next round and just like blow him away so that was kind of awesome um i felt good about that and people who played side will be like oh that was a good play but um anyway that was a game that i really love playing and i love it so much i actually have the wins gambit on order i think i'm gonna get it I'll definitely have it before the next podcast, and I hope to play it with that expansion before the next podcast. So I'll probably talk more about it next next show. So I'm going to shut up now and let you talk. So so wait, wait. This Scythe has fighting, right? It does. It's, but everybody says it's a Euro game. That Those are diametrically opposed. <laughs> I don't like it. It's very minimal fighting. Very minimal. Like, you only fight so that you can place points on the board. It's a part of your point salad is getting a fight in. So, yeah, I, I, okay. I'm i pretty right. sure that after you play it, you're going to be like, that's really Euro-y. Like, it just doesn't look Euro-y with the fighting robot guys and stuff. But it's like, honest to goodness, the game that I think it's the closest to is like, <laughs> I don't know. It's like Jamie Stegmeier's other games. It's like Viticulture and, and Euphoria a little bit. Um, it's like he robbed the best parts of those games and put them in this one. So. Yeah, I, I would give it a go. It's just it's got one strike because it's got miniatures, and then it's got two strikes because it's got fighting. But you never know. I'll probably I'll replace it. the max with wooden cubes, and I'll replace the leaders with like a different kind of wooden cube. That'll make you feel better. That sounds amazing. I'm in <laughs> a wooden disc and wooden cubes. There we go. <laughs> yeah, I like it. All right, another game I played. Uh, it was yeah, I think it was last week, maybe the week before, but doesn't matter. Is Vasco da Gama, and I know how you love that game. Uh, 
I'm in the I'm in the uh, Tom Vassell camp on that one. If you've ever seen Tom Vassell's review of it, he literally drops it off his roof and then like breaks the game down, and then he actually later does an apology video where it's like totally tongue in cheek and he doesn't actually apologize. It's pretty funny. Yeah, it is funny. I mean, part of the reason why I wanted the game is because I watched Rado play through it, so I knew about the game oh, mechanisms. Oh, yeah, he loves it. Yeah, well, he should because it's an amazing game, and I love it too. <laughs> Tom is so wrong that I've never seen anybody be more wrong about anything. I I get where he's coming from for sure, though. His point was like, how many Mediterranean trader games do we need? And this one doesn't do anything incredibly better than anything else that I've played. So, I mean, I get that. But at the same time, if you're going to own a Mediterranean traders on the on the uh, on the cardboard top game like this one's fine. It's as good as any of them, honestly. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I understand. I understand the theme thing, but that whole putting your disc out, like you could be the first one to put your disc out, but then you could take a low number so that acti- activates last. I don't know that I just like that mechanism a lot. And it really brings the tension up a little bit for me. Yeah. For a, I mean, it's pretty, it's a pretty tense euro. And I don't know. That's saying something for me because. I'll be curious how much you like it after about four plays. The other thing, too, is I own this game. Like, I put some games up for trade in my local group, and the guy was like, hey, I'll give you Vasco da Gamma and Revolution for those two games. And I was like, "Uh, yeah, that's not great, but I don't like these games, and I'll try something new. So I had Vasco da Gamma, and I played it maybe four times. I want to say the first time I played it, I thought it was okay. But by by the fourth time, I was just not that into it. Now that said, I'm like not near as into Euros as you are, and my game group is not near as into heavy games as your group is, it seems like. So I think you'll have better luck with it than I had for sure. Um, but I, I did have it and then I traded it on pretty quick. And the nice thing about it is it wasn't popular enough when it was originally made, uh, to have a lot of copies of it out there. So it's kind of held its value pretty well for people who want to like trade it or sell it in the secondary markets. So. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, the designer of it has moved on, has done some really other great games, which I'm going to let you take over and talk about now. Uh, Dogs of War? Yeah, same guy. Is it? Is it Pablo? What's his face? Paolo Mori. Yeah, Paolo, he did yeah, that. Paolo. He did Libertalia. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's got another one out too. Another brand new one. Um, oh, what's the new one called that he has? Ethnos. Ethnos. That's right. And I've heard really good things about that one as well. Um Dogs of War, I actually played with you. Um, and this is one that I had on my top 100 games. It was like number like 77. And I had played this one maybe twice before with three players. And I'll tell you what, this game, I don't know if I'll play it with three players ever again because it's so much better at five players. It is such a good game. It's so fun. It's um, it's the closest thing to like a like nasty confrontation uh like social deduction, like diplomacy type game that you'll get a like pure cube cube pusher to play and enjoy it. I think, you know, cause there is a lot of like worker placement kind of things in it, but it's also a lot of social deduction and a lot of, uh, is, is this guy going to keep his word or not kind of things too. Um, so I had a lot of fun playing it and it had been probably two years since I last played it. Um, I just bought my own copy of it on the Simon on the Simon like winter sale this year, but man, that game is really fun. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I would say if I had to redo my top 100 list, I would see it definitely cracking the top 50 now. Um, oh, yeah. it just it's, was a good it's totally worth that. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like you liked it too. Oh yeah. Like when, at, at first I wasn't super into it cause I'm not big on the negotiation stuff, but 
Then when the fourth round came and I got to just stab my wife right in the back and make an alliance to go right against her, that was that was amazing. Uh, yeah, and then you had like a two-hour car ride after that. That probably didn't feel <laughs> good for you, I'm guessing, but – yeah, yeah she, she she gets over the games pretty quickly. Whatever happens at the game stays at the game. Yeah, she seems like she like can keep the game with the game and life with the life, which is important to do as a gamer. Like, yeah, yeah. I've seen people like or heard of people who have like ended twenty year friendships over games of diplomacy and stuff. So not everybody can do that. Well, I mean, if I probably played that game, I wouldn't want to be those people's friends anymore either, <laughs> because that game's way too long and. Not that great, but yeah, people play it for years too. Well, I think this game, like, if you had Dogs of War or Diplomacy on the table and said, "Hey, let's play one," like every time I'm gonna play Dogs of War. Like, I would use, I would use the Diplomacy game to prop up like a small child to play Dogs of War with, like as a booster <laughs> seat. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, I agree. It's just I don't know everything that's fun about diplomacy like you can do in Dogs of War, but it takes six minutes to do a confrontation instead of six years. I don't. Well, know. unless unless you're playing with Jed and then he talks it out for two hours. But <laughs> yeah, shout out to Jed, one of the players. His name's really Jed. Um, the fun part too is we played the game totally wrong. Like, and it's a commonly uh, a common way that people misplay the game is the rules say that you get three coins each year or per year. Um, so like the way how we played that is we multiplied it. So like, that's why we ran out of coins. So like in year, in year four, we got 12 coins when we really supposed to get just three additional coins. And so because we had this surplus of money, like tons of people had war machines, which are these super powerful units. And we got to the point where we were like, just waiting for this chant of war machine. And then you drop the card. (laughs) It was, it was a good time. Yeah, it was. That, that was probably the best game that we played when we were together, and I, I was, I'm really surprised by that because we mean, played Lorenzo, and I love Lorenzo. Lorenzo's awesome too. I, I like, if I had to look at Lorenzo uh, and buy it based on how it looks, I wouldn't be very happy. Like, I don't think I would buy it just based on pure looks. But the mechanics on it are actually really smooth, and I really enjoyed that game too. As you should, because it's amazing. <laughs> Well, anyway, Dogs of War is one that's kind of hard to describe, too, because it's like a lot of a feeling that you get with it as well. But it's one that, like, for sure, if you get a chance to play it, I would suggest it. Totally. Second it. All right. Another game I played is it's a a silly game. It just came out this year. It's called Bob Ross, The Art of Chill. I have this one, too. And I don't know, just something about looking at Bob Ross and his amazing afro on that cover painted like a tree. Oh, man, that's glorious. Yeah. It's actually a really fun game. It really is. Yeah, we played it with some people who don't even play a ton of games, and they all thought it was awesome, and they love saying that when you roll the die and and you flip a card and Bob's just chilling, we really got into that because it's fitting for Bob. It is. I I like the directions just say, do nothing with Bob. He's just chilling this round. (laughs) Like, that's just funny to me, too. Yeah. Yeah, at its core, it's essentially just set collection, and you're – you're using the sets that you're getting to paint like little trees and little mountains and little rivers and stuff like from real Bob Ross paintings. Right. But the theme of Bob Ross makes it a little more interesting and fun. And I'm so glad that I have it in my collection and looking oh, forward yeah. to play it again. And like, I think I got it for 17 bucks because it was like 25% off on one of those target sales. This is a target exclusive game. And I think it's normally like 25 bucks. And I think I got it for like 19 or 18 and I'm, I couldn't be happier. I mean, like, it's a full actual game. It's, I mean, it's almost a filler, but it's an actual, you know, 
not big box, but medium box game. And at that price, you can't beat it. And the other thing about this game that I think is kind of cool is the the set collection in it is so simple and so light that it's almost like a matching game. I mean, it's just super light. So that's accessible to everybody. But then it has that kind of cool mechanic where you can trade in cards to get like extra tools to use. And that kind of like makes it a little more gamerish too, that you can be like, okay, how do I, how long do I wait to get these tools to try and like help me? Uh, versus like, is it really worth giving these cards up and this, you know, action up to get these tools? So I thought that was kind of an interesting little mechanic they had in there. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, it's a little simple game, and then they just put a little bit, like a little shout out to some gamers in there, right. just so they could have some fun with it too. And the tableau, like building or whatever you want to call that little part where you get the tools, it it integrates really well. So I had a good experience with it too. Yeah, it's a great game. I got, I'm pleasantly surprised, and yeah, for just being a little target game about Bob Ross, it's definitely a real game. It's not just a little. It's not like Oregon Trail. Right. That you also get it targeted. It's well, a legitimate that, game. Oh, that's horrible. That's so bad. <laughs> um, it is. It's bad. My wife bought it for me because she knows I'm like, I love the old Apple IIe games, uh, Oregon Trail game. And like, she was trying to be sweet and whatever. And I think it was on sale. But like that game, I don't know if you've ever played it, but like literally you draw a card and you die. Like that's like, that can just happen. It's just like, are you kidding? And I guess that's pretty much what happened in the video game too. But it feels really yeah, bad mean, in a card game. That game's all right for like five minutes. And then after that, uh, moving on to something better. I'm moving on to Bob Ross. R- right. Yeah. Bob Ross will stay in my collection for quite a while. I mean, it's, it's a solid game. Like, and usually when you have a game that's like endorsed by a celebrity, it's terrible. It's like the Trump game or like, I don't know. It's just, <laughs> but this one's actually really good. Yep. Well, the last one I want to talk about that I played, I mean, I played so many games over the last two weeks because of, uh, it just being like, you know, Christmas and new games and having time off work. But the one I want to mention, because it doesn't, it does get a little bit of talk out there, but it's, I'm going to endorse it as being really good too. Uh, that is role player. Um, the other games I played this week, I'll probably get better chances to talk about, but role player is a really cool game. And it's one that I played wrong the first time I played it and then played it right. And it was just an example of where a minor rule difficulty made the game so much different and so much better. Uh, so when you play this game, it's basically a dice placement game. So you draft dice and then the order you draft them, if you draft a high die, you get like a low initiative number, which means you go to the market phase last. So basically you're doing two parts. You're picking these die out to put into like a character sheet for like a role playing character. Get that clever pun there. Roll R O L E R O L L. Um, but you're putting these die on this sheet to try and like match up certain characteristics to certain numbers. And then you can modify your die values using powers. So immediately people are probably like, oh, Sagrada, but different. And it's very similar to Sagrada. I'm going to be honest in far as, as far as how you draft die. And then you can use like tools or whatever to change your die some. But the thing this one has that makes it a little heavier and a little more like, I'm actually going to say I kind of like it a little better than Sagrada is um, it has these equipment things you buy. So you can get different skills or attributes or equipment that you put on your character that make your dice able to do different things. And it makes you able to modify how you calculate certain stats or get extra points based on like getting set collection kind of things done. And you buy those cards in the market based on the initiative, like I said earlier. So if you pick a really high die, you might get a bonus coin, kind of like that whole like, um, you know, like small world where you drop a coin on something as the rounds go by. It's the same thing on this one. Um, there's like coins that can accumulate on slots that don't get taken. 
So you might get a little bonus coin or something, but you get a really good die, but you know you're going to have to pick a, a piece of equipment last. Whereas if you take a bad die, you can pick equipment early. So, I mean, it's kind of cool balancing those things and then always looking at your character and like kind of thinking, okay, I need this, this, and this. And then like in Bachi Koro and all these games where you roll die, then when the right die comes up, it feels like, it feels like you're playing roulette and you just like won a thousand dollars or something. It's just really cool that that works out that way. So anyway, role player was one that I didn't have huge expectations for. Um, I just had heard some cool things about it and I put it on my wish list. and I'm not sure why I even really put it on my wish list. Like there's other games that I think on, on, uh, redoing my wish list, I would have put above it and my mom ended up buying it for me. So I was like, Oh, well, I guess it's fine. And then I ended up being pretty pleasantly surprised that it's actually a really solid game. So, that's the one last one I want to talk about. Do you fight monsters in this game, or no, are you li- not at literally all. just making a character? You're just making a character. To you're just creating a character to get ready to go into combat or play like a role playing game series. And it's all about creating the like ideal character, like how close you can get to making this like ideal character with all these different traits and right backstory and just stuff like that. And I got a feeling they're gonna. I think they may have already come out with an expansion for it, actually, where it might become like a cooperative game where you fight against monsters or something like that. But it's like the only complaint I have about it is it has that thing Galaxy Trucker has going on for it, where it feels like half a game. Like it feels like you're doing this really awesome build up to something, and then the game's just over. Um, yeah, you're building up to fight monsters that you're not fighting. Yeah, exactly. Now there's another game I have that's card drafting, where you do the same thing. You're equipping a, a like. A, like hero up with cards that you draft the the drafting thing is just like seven wonders you draft a card and then stick it on this character and then you do actually go into these dungeons and fight characters it's called lost legends and that game's actually from queen games it's like super euro trashy for a queen games game and uh euro trashy that's a new new term i just came up with uh <laughs> it's, like su- it. it's super ameritrashy for a queen games game um but it's actually really good um and you can get it on Amazon for like 11 bucks some days. So like with all Queen games, it's that way. It seems like I've bought some really awesome Queen games for like under 15 bucks. And that's one of them too. So it's a similar game, but it's just you draft draft equipment and then you actually do go fight the monsters. So anyway, that's that's what I have for my games I played last week. I could go into Viticulture. I could go into Concordia. I could go into a bunch of other things, but I will leave it at those. Yeah, I have some Felds that I played too, but... That'll be for another day. Yeah. Oh, Feld. Love him or hate him, he's a he's a force. <laughs> that he is. All right, cool. Well, I guess uh, for our main feature here, like, man, we are, we're trying to keep these episodes around an hour, and this one's going to be way over an hour just because, I mean, like, I guess we're, we're talking well or whatever. I don't know. But uh, the last thing we're going to talk about on this show is we're going to talk about games that were new. Uh, I think they're new for 2017. I think we ended up doing all new to 2017 games that we liked. So our top five games, basically, for all of 2017. Um, and so I guess I will kick it off. And here's what I'm going to do, Jason, is if I have a game on my list, because I go first, if I have something that appears on the list later that you're going to do, I'm just going to say this game appears in Jason's list later, and so I, I won't spoil it. But the first game on my list, my number five game for 2017... Um, a very good game, but like the fifth best game I played that was new to 2017 is, uh, Yamatai. And I think I'm saying that right, but, um, that's how I've always said it. Um, it's, it's good enough. It's a cool little game where you like kind of draft these boats and then you're doing like trade kind of things or you're building these little structures. Um, 
It's a Days of Wonder game, so right off the bat, you know it's beautiful and has great components in it. And the art and the feel of the game, like the color palette and just the way how the components are, reminds me a lot of Five Tribes. And it gets a fair number of comparisons to Five Tribes. But really mechanically and everything else, it's way different than Five Tribes. And I think if Five Tribes, on a scale of like 1 to 10 for like how analysis paralysis like prone it can be or like how heavy the game can be like if five tribes is a seven this game's like a six or a five so it's not quite as heady as the other ones but it's just kind of a cool game and what i liked about it and why i got my number five spot is it has that kind of cool thing like uh, a couple of the games i've played with it um are like um scoville and um spirium where like when you place your workers you place them in the middle of things and then they interact with the things on the sides of them so like i think that's kind of a cool mechanic that like the spaces like the spaces interact differently based on like you being between the spots kind of if that makes sense so that's kind of a cool mechanic that's present in this game as well um but at any rate a beautifully produced game not too heavy family friendly um and the theme's really cool too that you're playing you know like in like Imperial Asia, you know? So Yamatai is my number five. Yeah, I need to check that one out. I love Five Tribes. I like Bruno Cathala. Days of Wonder is always amazing. Yeah. And the art on this game just is unbelievable. If you so like to- if you like Five Tribes, even though I say it's not fair to compare the two, I think if you like Five Tribes, there's enough of the same flavor, feel, production that you're gonna like this game as well, if I if I had to guess. Cool. Yeah, I'll have to give it a show. I give it a shot. All right, um, a game I'm going to talk about is, we mentioned the sequel earlier in the news section, so I'm going to talk about Century Spice Road. This came out this year at Origins, and I picked up a copy on Thursday or Friday when I was there, and we just had huge success with this game. Um, everybody we play, play it with seems to dig it. It doesn't go on too long unless you're playing with Jed and John. <laughs> Blame Jed. Blame Jed and John. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just a simple... Hand management, resource management game, building a little engine to help you um, get some contract goals so you can get points at the end. It's a simple game. It's Splendor-ish a little bit, but it's a fun game. I'm yeah. glad I have it, and it's I can't wait for the second one. A really good game, for sure. And you introduced this game to me. Um, I will say the only criticism I have of this game, I think everything you said about it is totally true. It's accessible to everyone. The cards are easy to understand. It's like, hey, do this thing or get this thing. And you play one card down on your turn. That's it. Or pick your cards up. I mean, or fulfill an order, I guess. So there's like not many options. So that in that way, it's like Splendor. Um, and it's like the like kind of trying to collect goods kind of thing is like Splendor. But other than that, I think they're very different games overall. Um I don't know. I just feel like they're really different. I could see them both being in my collection. Um, but the thing about Century Spice Road that ended up being kind of bad in our play that we played was like the cards, the way they came out was really unlucky for us. So like one player kept getting the cards that just gave you cubes and the rest of us had to get like the ones where you trade to try and get them. And like I, I didn't know what I was going to try. Like I just couldn't get cubes. Like I had the one get two yellow cubes card and that was it. So I kept taking cards whenever they get cubes on them. And I just had a bunch of useless, useless cards in my hands just because I needed the cubes and I didn't want to like rest. So, but at any rate, it's a really good game. Like I definitely would say that it was on my honorable mentions for games of 2017. Yeah. I, I, I see what you're saying about the randomness of the cards that come out, but I ended the game with only seven cards in my hand. I didn't draft any cards. I just kept using like a yellow engine, kept recycling the cubes, turning them into other things so I could complete the contract. So it just depends how you want to roll with it. Yeah. I felt like if the game would have gone on like maybe 
two more turns, I would have completed two pretty good contracts because I just got my engine going a little later than you. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really good game and it's elegant too. I think is the word that like is way overused when describing games right now, but it just is. I think by elegant, you mean it's just, you know, smooth. How it flows is very smooth and it definitely has that. Agreed. Well, our number four, I'm going to say that because it's both of our number fours is Sagrada. <laughs> um, so Sagrada, I already kind of mentioned when I talked about role player. Um, and Jason, I'll let you go ahead and talk about it first if you want. All right. Yeah, I played this, I don't know, like a, November or something this year. And I played it with a guy who never wasn't even a gamer. And I said, hey, look at these amazing dice. All oh, we're going to do, we're going to roll these dice. You're going to take one. You're going to put it on your board. You can't put the same color next to the same color. You can't put the same number next to the same number. And you also have to try to make the sure the correct number or color is in the right spot on your board. That's literally all the rules of that game. Right. So we played it, played like 20 minutes, and he actually ended up beating me because he just got better dice than me. But literally, you can take this to a non-gamer and say, this is what we're doing, then let's go. You're right. playing in two, two minutes. And like I feel like another thing you can do with a non-gamer is say, have you ever, have you ever done a Sudoku puzzle? Like, you know how you can't have these things next to each other? Like, similar thing here. You can't put the same number next to each other. You can't put the same color next to each other. Um, the thing I like about this, too, over role player, like, it's a little bit lighter. So there's not quite as much to think about. So it's more accessible to non-gamers. But I think it's kind of cool, that thing of uh, you get to pick your pattern at the beginning. I mean, I know it's all random and it's all dice. So, like, they're all equal. But it's kind of cool that you get to pick, like, hey, this is the insert I'm going to use, you know? I thought that was kind of a cool little touch. Yeah, I took a harder one because I wanted more little tools or whatever, right. the little glass discs things. Right. I wanted more of those so I could have more flexibility. But outside of that, I, yeah, there's really no difference. I don't feel like those tools are worth it. Like, that's where I'm at with the game right now. I mean, I might change my opinion as I find better uses for those tools. But those tools are so expensive to use if you're not the first one to use it. So, like, you get a discount if you're the first person to use that tool. But if you're if you're second, like you might get to use one and a half tools in that whole game. I mean, like, so I don't know. Those tools are nice; they're really powerful. But I feel like sometimes just getting an easier easier array and not having to worry about tools is a better way to go. Right. It almost feels like they should give those tools like each player should get their own tool that they can use, kind of like a player power. Right. I think I would dig that a little more. Oh yeah, for sure. It wouldn't be as expensive. But see, that's present in role player. but like role player is just such a heavier game. Like the two have dice placement and drafting, but like um other than that, they're really different. But I like role player better because it does have those extra things that I like as a gamer. And I can see just definitely where though I'm not gonna play role player with like my mom, where I could play Sagrada with my mom, you know? So that's cool. But I think you're right. I think that those those tools, like I think they need to either give you like more of those of those like beads or whatever to use the tools more and make them more important. Or like you said, have like an asymmetrical player power kind of thing when you start the game. Like, so you get like this player mat that has this tool on it, but then you have to do one of these four arrays. that's specially designed for like your thing. So maybe one player's power is like, you can put numbers that are the same next to each other, but at the same time you have all these different colors you have to get instead of like worrying about numbers. You know what I mean? Like, I don't oh, know. Yeah, I think cool. there's, I think there's a lot of room for expansions on this game and it might get better as it goes. I do like Gate games like as as far as me personally i like them like i had epic resort uh with them 
And that game's not too awesome, but my game was incomplete. And those guys bent over backwards to mail me pieces and stuff. So they're a good game, a good game company as far as them being like good people who are like, they understand gamers and stuff. So I endorse that too. But I mean, this one, this one, I think maybe, I mean, it just, I don't know. Uh, it, it it edges out, you know, it's high and it edges out Century Spice Road for me just because of like the amount of time I've played it. Um, so I can't, I can't, you know, have played a game 10 times and then say it's like not in my top four when I've played another game one time and like maybe enjoyed it a little more. I don't know. That's just kind of a weird hang up I have, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, okay. So number three for me is on your list higher. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, and defer to you to go ahead and talk about your number three. And I'll talk about my three when it comes up on your list. All right. My number three is Unfair. This um, looks I've, so good. I, I've not played it yet, but it looks really interesting. It actually is. Like, I'm so not about Take That. And I'm actually surprised that I like this game because there's a considerable amount of that in this. But just building your own, like, amusement park and like pimping them out however you want with like luxury seats and fancy vending machines and a coat rack. And then you can do these like super yeah. powerful, um, super powerful attractions that give you like game breaking points. And yeah, it's just, it's a fun game. It's really simple. You're playing a card over three rounds. You're buying cards from a market. You're collecting money from guests you have in your, your attraction. And then just trying to get some, collect some symbols so you can get a bunch of points at the end of the game. It's super simple, but it's very fun. Right. Um, this is one of those games too that was so hyped up before it even got published too. Like, I think people just love the idea of the theme. And then also there's like three other games that came out around the same time that have similar themes. Um, like World's Fair came out at the same time. And then like Coaster Park came out in the last little while here. And from what I understand, this game is the best one of the three, but I've not played any of them. Um, I like World's Fair. It's, it's good, but it's super light. Yeah. It's just a super light area control game. And then Coaster Park seems kind of cool with the physics stuff that you actually building marble runs, but it seems gimmicky too. So yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, Unfair is one that is on my list, my short list of things I want to play. And it's like n- approaching my blind buy. Just I'm going to buy it so I can play it list, which is a, which is a really bad evil list to have. So <laughs> you won't be disappointed. It's a great game. Yeah. I might hold off and just play. You've got a copy, right? Yeah, we got it at uh, Origins this year. Yeah, I may have to just hold off till the next time I get to play with you, Jason, and uh, play it with you. So Sounds good. How, how long does it take to play? Um, it should only take like an hour and a half, but when you get people who waffle on the decisions, it can it can sometimes push like two and a half. Wow! But it shouldn't take any more than ninety minutes. Really, that's that's substantially longer than I thought. Like when you look at it, like you'd think it'd be like a forty-five minute game because it's mostly cards, you know, but. That's that's interesting. So it must be a little heavier than I thought too. Yeah, I mean, sorta. It's just mostly the decisions that you have to make. Yeah, that hang people up and so extend the timeout. If you played it with a chess timer, it would be a forty-five minute game. But people just spend a lot of time thinking, huh? Yep. All so right. far, I've, I've played it like three times, and it's been like that every time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my number two is near and far, which is, I know one that it doesn't appeal to you at all. And it's like, not your kind of thing, but man, I played above and below and was pretty disappointed with that game that it was supposed to be this storytelling narrative type game. And it didn't have much choice as far as how the narratives played out, like in this book of stories or book of tales. Cause I was used to like something like tales of the Arabian nights where you got tons of choices and tons of encounters. 
this one, it was like an afterthought, like almost in above and below. It was like almost like not pasted on, but it was like a little like disconnected from the main game. Um, whereas in near and far, it's totally incorporated really well. And then they have this like campaign mode too, where you can keep the same character and go through the stories, uh, with extra powers and things. And then after that too, there's a like deck of encounters that you can play if you just want to play it kind of as like a Euro game. So, um, it's, it's kind of just clever in house design. Ryan Lockett is just a really great designer. I think everything he's done is good. And this one is no exception. And I would put this on the, I'd put this on the upper side of the good games that I like of his. Um, it's, it's as good or better than Empires of the Void. It's better than Above and Below. Um, it's better than, it's better than City of Iron or, yeah, City of Iron. Um, I've never played the archaeology game that he put out. And I've heard really good things about it, but it's my favorite one of his games. And just the way how it integrates everything together is just really great. Uh, and then it's just fun how there's like these like there's in above and below. There's two spots. There's the above and the below. Well, in near and far, it's the same thing. There's the near, which is like you're in the city and you're doing certain things and it's worker placement. And then there's the far where you go out adventuring. And that's and that's almost really worker placement, too. Um but it's like you're just trying to pile yourself out to go out and voyage further so you can get these encounters. And just it's a really good blend of having some thematic gaming into it into really what is pretty much a worker placement game, honestly. Yeah, I'm actually, I actually am kind of interested in this. I'm, I'm not I haven't been super into any of his other games, but one of my friends has this and she played it and loved it. And so she's going to end up bringing it over so we can try it and. It's essentially worker placement, so I can, yeah, I can get behind that sure. and support it. No, I think I think you'll like it okay at least. Um and like you don't seem to be I mean like I think you really like what you really like, but you don't seem like you're a huge game snob. I mean like I think you'll try anything and be okay with it. And that's kinda how I am too, but I don't know. This one's Yeah, I'll I'll, it's I'll as, try it. I'd just rather play Lorenzo. It's as thematic a game as you're gonna probably want to ever play. I'll say that. That's probably true. Them- thematics probably a true. nice way of sure. saying Ameritrash, I guess. But anyway, <laughs> about, uh, uh, Near and Far is my number two. All right. My number two is also on Joel's list, and it is Azul. Absolutely. And I am ex- actually surprised that I like this game because it's abstract. It is not something that I normally ever play, which I actually have two of them on this list, Sagrada and Azul which is surprising, but Azul is just this little, you get these little tiles, you're trying to fill out this row to get certain colors and certain rows in the array, similar to Sagrada, where the different colors are in different rows. And you want to be the first person to complete a row because that ends the game, but you're trying to do it in a certain way so you get the best amount of points and just a thinky little game. You start off in the first round, you're like, oh, I can pick whatever I want. Then you get into the third round, you're like, oh man, I... I can only get blue and then there's no blue and you get stuck with eight reds and right. you end up break, breaking them all. Right. And it's just terrible. Um, it, it is, but plan B games, they are putting out some great games. Um, they're becoming my favorite company real quick. And, uh, they bought the company that produces great Western trail. So I'm interested to see what happens with them, like merging with that heavier Euro company too. So plan B putting out heavy Euro games might make for a really nice 2019 or even late 2018 for Jason. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll try it out for sure. <laughs> um, but uh, Azul is definitely on my list. It's just such a good fun puzzle type game. Um, 
And then like, there's two layers to it. So like the first couple of times you play it, you're like, I'm just trying to solve the puzzle for myself. And then after that, you start thinking, okay, I want to now ruin everyone else's puzzle and try and make them take those eight tiles. Like you talked about that you don't have room for. So it's just got layers and layers of like play. And it's, it's something like, um, I don't know that Santorini came out in 2017. I kind of don't think it did. I think it was a 16 game actually officially, but, um, Santorini's yeah, like, I think I, it's, it's a I good think game. 16. Santorini is a really excellent game too, but it has the same idea of like, you can figure out this game in like three, four minutes, but then it takes forever to like play it well. Um, like you could play it a hundred times and still be getting better. And that's definitely the case with, with Azul. Um, and it's one that I probably will play a hundred times. I mean, it's just a fun game. Um, like our, our game day we had, I ended up, um, like we played at my parents' house because it's kind of a halfway point, not really halfway, but like closer than having to drive all the way to my house or me drive all the way to your house. But um, at any rate, you guys packed up and headed home, and I played a, a round of Azul with my dad that evening. And I mean, like I was able to teach him that game, and he enjoyed playing it. I think all within all within you know from start to finish in thirty five minutes. So I mean, just any game that can span those those types of gamers, like my dad who played, you know backgammon back in 1981 up to like me who plays gloomhaven in 2017 and have us both engaged and have it be something that's fun and easy it's got to be a good game you know yeah i agree um my wife's sister she doesn't even play games and we she got it for as we did like this game exchange for christmas with all of our friends so we don't have to pass out a bunch of gifts to all of our friends yeah so we do like a white elephant and she ended up getting this game and we sat down and played it two times in a row, like one right after the other. And she, she loved it. She just wanted to play it that second time. And then, yeah, it was just, it's just a great game. Yeah. It's very good. And I, I think it's on a lot of people's top five, top 10 list for 2017, but it came out late enough in the year too, that like, I mean, I guess it's a, it's an Essen release, but I think if this one had come out, I think you'll see a lot of this game around. And I think this is one that, I'm going to make a prediction. I'm going to predict that Target will have Azul in the store on the shelves um, by summer. And I'm guessing even like Walmart might have it on their shelves. So it'll be a big box game uh, by the time it's all said and done. It'll be it'll be in Barnes & Noble first. It'll be at Barnes & Noble by like April. And then it'll be in Target by the summer. That's that's my predictions. We'll see. Yeah, for sure. My Okay, my number one, uh, I am a Stonemaier Games fanboy, so it has to be Charterstone. Like, this game is just everything I like. Um, it's the excitement of opening Christmas presents on Christmas morning. It's the, like, smooth Euro worker placement game of everything that Jamie Stegmeier does. It's got amazing components in it. It is just so fun. Um, and I, I think I said Charterstone already, but the game that is number one for me is Charterstone. This game is just amazing from play one. Um, just really enjoy it. And it's one that, like, it's just so fun to open the little packages. And my son will play games with me. He enjoys them most of the time. This is one that he's just like, yeah, let's play again. Like, if we can get – the problem was that we played our, our first game with my wife, so we have to get her to play as well. And uh, in order, because it's a it's a legacy game, it's a you know stick stickers on a board type game, and so you want to have all the same players all the way through, um, if you can help it. So if if my wife hadn't played with us, I think he and I would have played through all you know twelve plays of the game or whatever we had to play through by now. But it's uh, it's pretty cool, and it's kind of similar to like I think we talked about how the expansion for uh, Scythe is going to be. I think it's the same idea um, that. 
essentially it's like you're unpackaging the game a little bit at a time. So like people who have completed the game say that the game when it's completely done is a perfectly legitimate, like kind of halfway fantasy village, um, worker placement game that's solid that's rock solid that you can play and play and play and play and it's just your own custom version of this game um so i mean it's got the legacy thing of like you're unpacking parts of it but i think at the end of it all you end up with a good game whereas with like pandemic legacy or risk legacy those are cool games but like you end up framing your board and sticking it on the wall because you can't play it ever again you know whereas charter stones is something that you end up with having a having an actual game that's you know, rock solid that you can keep playing and enjoying. So that's why Charterstone got my number one pick of the year. Um, it's one that I think will continue to generate buzz. And I think if it would have come out, you know, earlier at even Gen Con or something, um, it would have made a lot of people's top 10 lists. And I think it already did. So at any rate, Charterstone, beautiful game. Everything about it's just great. Yeah, I had to give that one a try. I'm I'm intrigued. It's, it's more Euro-y than some of the other legacies. Absolutely. So we'll I mean, it's, what, it's we'll the best way you could do a Euro legacy game. And it's more of an unpacking game than a legacy game, if I had to guess. Or say it, describe it, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah, he, he's he's good at that. Yeah, for sure. All right. All right, my number one of the year is a game that I've been trying to buy since it came out because I'm kicking myself for not backing the Kickstarter. Um, and it is Clans of Caledonia. Oh, I thought it was going to be Gloomhaven. Because you love combat. <laughs> yeah, I love that game. You're right. That's my new number one. <laughs> no, but Clans of Caledonia is... For the record, Gloomhaven, number one. Jason's. <laughs> yeah, mark it down. Because you're never going to hear that again. Um, yeah, Clans of Caledonia is essentially... It's like Terra Mystica, sort of. The person who designed the game, Juma Aljuju, he clearly was a Terra Mystica fan because... I haven't played Terra Mystica, but I know enough about it to know that he definitely borrowed some mechanisms from Terra Mystica. You have to put little cows and cheese out on the board so you can have factories to produce certain goods. And then you're doing conversions. There's like a dynamic market where when stuff gets sold, it drops the price down because there's more available. And when you buy things, it raises the price up because it's there's less of it. So supply and demand kind of. Yeah. Yeah, it's only over five rounds. The game like flies by for a really heavy, crunchy Euro. But man, I played it one time and after that I was hooked. Uh, I'd be interested to see what you think of this game after you played either Gaia or Terra Mystica. Um, I played Terra Mystica a few times and um, I really like that game. I think I rated it a nine on Board Game Geek um, at one time. So I think the thing about Terra Mystica that I didn't like was it was a little long and a little like too much going on if they could have simplified Terra Mystica a little bit like even 10% and shortened it by 25% it'd probably be one of my top 10 favorite games and like based on how you're describing this game it sounds like they may have almost done that oh yeah this is it's still crunchy it's still heavy but they took out some of the stuff that I've seen in Terra Mystica that seems kind of unnecessary and just basically boiled it down to a more streamlined package so you're literally just putting things on a board and buying and trading things the the only and, other criticism I've seen of it is people say that the setup I don't know if the setup's the same or real similar every time but they they're basically complaining that with Terra Mystica like things are much different how they develop every time um and this one that you probably could math things out on it after like playing it five or six times so I don't know is there like I think you probably could counter that I'm guessing like is there a mechanism in there that keeps things fresh like increases the replayability a little on it 
It could be. I didn't set it up. I, I showed up like when they were done setting up and sure. just made them give me a character. <laughs> but again, I don't play games like that. I don't play games to try to find the best strategy to win yeah. and do that every single time. I just play a game to have fun. So to me, I right. don't think it's going to be an issue. I, I'm with you. Um, my computer's making funny sounds. I hope you can still hear me. Um, yeah, you're good. I'm, I'm with you absolutely 100%. Um, I play games for the social, like, parts of it but i also like to stop and think and like be around people who like to think but i never am like i know some people who play games that i play with even that like they sit down and they think how is this action going to give me the most points at the end of the game like that's the filter they run everything through and that's really should be what you're doing if you try and win but i'm like man what feels right i play a lot with my intuition and just like to have a good time so um i'm with you on that the other thing too is like i don't care what game it is like power grid is one that I played a ton to the point where I was like, yeah, I know exactly what I'm going to do every time. Like I'm going to buy, like if it's these regions, I'm going to buy these into these cities and fire them up real quick and build these routes and stuff. Like that game I had figured out, like I just knew how to play it on the 40th play. But like, um, then you put the game away for two, three years and you get it out and you're like, Oh man, how do I play this? I don't even remember. So like, I don't care what game it is. If you don't think it has good replayability, put it on the shelf for a year and then break it back out. And then it's brand new and novel to you. Um, I mean, that's how it was with dogs of war for me. Like I had to relearn that game cause I forgot 90% of the rules over the course of two years. Right. Well, it's just one of those things too. Like if, if you don't think it's replayable, just intentionally do something different. Maybe right. take a different path that you would never, ever take just to see what happens. Just make it fun. Who cares? Well, and then, like, I played Caverna yesterday with my son, and he's never played it before. And I just played other people's copies of it. Um, never played my own copy that I got in trade. And so I was like, man, I'm going to break this thing out because I'm going to see if he likes it well enough to get rid of Agricola and just hang on to this one or if we need to keep both. And, um, like, it was just such a fun game to play. And I remember it being pretty good, but it was just – Amazing. So, I mean, like, I think we have this cult of the new kind of mentality sometimes with games. And, like, you love that, that like, that fresh novelty of a game. But, like, most of these games will stand the test of time if you put them away for a while and then get them back out. So, Clans of Caldonia, I think I could definitely see myself getting this and, and keeping it in my collection somewhere. Because it just fits a nice spot. Like, it's a nice package of a game, it seems like. So... I, oh, yeah. I, yeah. I like your choice. I didn't get a chance to play it this year, but I'm sure that if I had played it, it probably would have made my top five. Yeah, I think you'd dig it. I mean, if you like Terra Mystica, you'll like this one. I don't see why there would be any reason why you wouldn't. Yeah, for sure. Well, hey, that was our top five. Any closing comments here, Jason? Um, no, I'm just waiting to see what 2018 brings. If they're half as good of the games that come out this year... Uh, it's going to be a great year. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to museum. Like that's one that I'm like pumped about, and I'm not even into typically into like those type of like ah, medium weight Euro games. So um, that looks really good to me. Like it's the third time I've mentioned it, so I must be really pumped for it. Um, <laughs> right. And then there's another one coming out. There's a Kickstarter coming in February. It's a rescan of Conan with Batman. So I never got into the Conan thing. Like the theme just puts me off. But the Batman thing, man, I'll probably back that Kickstarter. So, and I know you will too, because you love those thematic games where you play as a guy rolling dice and stuff. So, oh yeah, if I can have nothing but a thousand minis, oh man, that's that's Kickstarter. That's all I want. That's all I want. I man, game I, I really hope they come out with a game that is like the most awesome painting, uh, painting a fresco 
on a wall using using ox carts to carry the mail and uh, set in like the Mediterranean in 1595 that is like full of miniatures. So that way it like has to break your brain that it's like the game you'll love, but it's like full of miniatures <laughs> instead of cubes. And you have yeah, to use the miniatures uh, for some reason, like, cause they have like, I don't know, they have like some kind of chips in them or something that you have to use them. I don't know. That would, that just make me happy. Yeah. I'd be torn on that. I don't know. <laughs> I, I might have to pass just for the sheer complexity sake. What's your favorite game with miniatures in it? Uh, probably Dogs of War. Wow, and yeah, like those those are totally superfluous too. Like you yeah. could put checkers in spite of those. So yeah, literally, I have no games with miniatures at all, except uh, let me look around. No, nothing. So Dogs of War. You guys don't you don't have uh, Forbidden Island? I guess that doesn't even have miniatures in it, does it? No, they're just little statues that you yeah. collect. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow, that's crazy. Um, well, cool. Hey, actually for our first episode, I think we did okay. So, um, we'll get better from here. I'm sure. I don't think we're going to get worse. So, yep. It only gets better from here. That's for sure. Thanks for listening. If you made it to this point in the episode, you're a true fan and you should put the promo code high five on our Facebook page and we will give you the highest of all fives. Really quickly too. (laughs) I like quick high fives. Yes. For sure. And it'll probably be actually a fist bump because it's cold season and we don't want to pass those germs. So that's true. All right. Well, hey, cool. We're right at the uh, we're right at the like hour 10 mark or so. So I think we'll call it good. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks. <laughs>